yeah, I think I'm wrapping up on our Ecclesia series today. And when I say I think, I just can't completely guarantee there won't be more. Just, just can't completely hand on heart say this is it. Because this has been such a, a big subject. And we've covered a huge amount of ground. I, I had to look back through all of the podcasts and then some of my notes and all of that around. Um, and I'm like, oh my goodness, we, we've covered a huge amount of territory and I kind of feel like we're only scratching the surface at the same time. What we're trying to find is what is the blueprint of heaven that Jesus said he would build? When Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, I will build my church, what did he mean by that? What is it that he intended to build? And are we anywhere close to what he had in mind? I don't know about you, but my iPad screen isn't set properly. There we go. Yours is fine? Awesome. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Mine should be fine now too. I don't know about you, but as, even as I listened to Steve, the, the couple of weeks that Steve did, when, when Steve posed the question, you know, what, what words could Jesus have used? Just that little, that was pretty confronting all on, all on its own right there. You know, he could have said, I'm building my synagogue. You know, this place where you come and do religious, spiritual things. That's probably closest to the blueprint that we're familiar with. Yet it's not what Jesus said. Could build my Panagurus, which is the, the, the event, the festival, the, the exciting place where we come together and celebrate and do stuff. And that sounds like fun. I'm up for those. I like those. But isn't what Jesus said he would build? He used this word, Ecclesia. And I, I want to boldly suggest that in the West, what we have built in terms of the church has some awesome parts to it. I love the church. I love the body. But there's this part of me that says it falls short of heaven's design. How do I know that? Well, only a few cities around the globe are actually being genuinely transformed. And yet when we read the book of Acts, everywhere the ecclesia went, it turned the world upside down to the point where as Paul on his missionary journeys came into a city, before he started his missionary journey, the people of the city said, ah, those people who have turned the world upside down, they're coming here now. Their reputation preceded them. And I don't know if we've kind of done that yet. There's a few places. We saw um, a video about it a couple of weeks ago, if you, uh, if you remember, of the city of... Ciudad Juarez in Mexico, which was the drug capital of the world. My iPad screen is still having a few issues, but it is, just in case any of you are tempted to criticise Apple, it is a user error. I, it is my fault. There is, this is perfect. It is fine. The problem's on my end. <laughs> we saw the city of Ciudad Juarez in Mexico where... It was the murder and drug capital of the world, quite literally. 
Um, and in a period of about four years, they completely, completely turned it around. And you see a pastor taking over the prison and making sure that all of the prison wardens and the city officials answered to him. I don't think anything in his Bible college training taught him how to do that. You know? That was a, 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 such a brilliant example. And we've seen examples in the past with the gigantic carrots uh, in um, Almalongla in Guatemala where their jails emptied out and their pubs became churches and their jails became churches. Um, whereas previously, all of the, there were four jails in the city, they were all full and they had to ship criminals to other cities because their jails were completely full and then their jails were empty, became churches and they produced these carrots that are like this. They're all, I'm serious. Have you not seen the carrots? Have you, have you not been here with the video? Some of you have seen I've said this before. So literally, the carrots are like this big and about this fat. That's one happy rabbit. Yeah, I reckon. I've asked this question before, but seeing I'm talking about the carrots, I'm going to say it again. What if to God that's a normal carrot? And we're so used to these piddly little things and we think that's normal. Think about that from a kingdom perspective in a moment. What if we're so used to kingdom life that's this big and we think that's normal and anything bigger than that's amazing and God's going, hey, a normal carrot in my kingdom's this big. (laughs) Just a thought. Now, in the journey since we've been meeting in this place, we have been working really hard at building community, about developing heart connection and being really intentional about this thing called the heart journey. Now we're talking about the Ecclesia, and what I want to try and do today is bring those two together and kind of round this thing around so that this Ecclesia thing isn't sitting separate to what we've already been doing. This is very much a part of the journey that we've been on. So what I want to do, I want to look at Acts chapter 2 for a moment. I'm going to do a brief kind of sojourn into James chapter 4, but if you happen to have your Bible there, let's go to Acts chapter 2. This is going to be familiar stuff to a lot of us, but I just want to, I want to dig around in it a little bit below the surface. And, you know, if we're talking about letting Jesus mess around with some rooms in our heart, there's some stuff here that I think is, is pretty important. So where Acts chapter 2 sits is, it's, chapter 2 starts with the day of Pentecost, which actually was last Sunday, wasn't it? It was last Sunday. Yeah, last Sunday. So we're, we're, in, we're in good territory here. This is, we're accidentally following the, uh, the, the Christian calendar. I don't think I've ever done that before, even accidentally, <laughs> let alone purposely. Um, so we're there almost accidentally. Um, and this is describing the fellowship of believers that has been birthed as a result of what God did at Pentecost. Started with 120 uh, in the upper room, and then the Holy Spirit pours out on the crowd, and a lot, a lot of people end up getting saved. What does it say? About three, at the end of chapter one, about uh, in middle of chapter two. Sorry, about three thousand were added to their number. Now, back in those days, that was probably just the men that they counted, which is a bit, you know, how's you doing? Is my voice very ringy, by the way? Am I loud, or is that all right? It's all right. It's just my head. It's ringing really loud in my head. It's probably not much in there. It's a loud, clangy thing. That was a joke. Yeah. yeah. It's very funny. Yeah. Um, 
And so this is describing that fellowship of believers uh, uh, that had grown in a day from 120 to around 3,000 people, and that was probably just the guys. Um, so if you include women and children in that, it's possibly two and a half times that amount in terms of actual humans. So it says, they devoted themselves, this is verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, they, avoided, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And, all, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, this is just the beginning. If you follow the, prog the progression of the book of Acts, it went from addition, by the time you get to the latter part of Acts, somewhere between Acts 6 and 8, because I'm going to talk about this, so I haven't got it exact, and now I am. By the time you get to around Acts chapter 6, it talks about the church being multiplied. It started as addition, but by the time we get a few years down the track, the church is multiplying. That is what was happening. And that, that was um, the result of the blueprint of heaven being in operation. Now, I like Acts chapter 2 here because this is the closest that the church has been, just in terms of time proximity, to Jesus walking the earth and saying, I will build my ecclesia. So the likelihood of them getting pretty close to what Jesus had in mind was pretty high back then. You know, over a couple of thousand years, it's really easy to drift away a little, especially through some dark ages and some really ugly periods in church history where we thought it was awesome and Christian to destroy whole people groups. I think we missed it a little there, but that's another story. It's not another history lesson. But this is, the, this is the closest that we get to what I think Jesus had in mind. And what was, what was the essence of it? What was the DNA, if you like, that was at the heart of that, that saw this be, if you like, the foundation from which they changed the entire world? So foundations are important, yeah? My house, which I'm not living in currently because it's being entirely gutted and remodeled. But I have been underneath it quite a lot and there's these pillars that form the foundations of the house. Now, if I decided in my amazing wisdom that now the house is built, we don't need the foundations anymore, let's rip those out. What do you think would happen? The house would fall down, exactly. So... What we see here is a foundation. And yes, they build stuff on top of the foundation, but the foundation never goes away. That, that's the point I'm trying to make there, yeah? The foundation doesn't go away. So what does it say that they did? The first thing it says is they devoted themselves. Now, that sounds cool, but what does that mean? Just, I went digging around underneath the words here. So that word devoted literally means associate closely with serve in close personal relationship with, to continue to do something with intense effort with the possible implication of despite difficulty. So do you see the relational words here? So when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it would be really easy to think, well, they, they spent time listening to them, which they most likely did a lot of. Because the word teaching is the, the Greek word didache, which means skilled in training and instruction. So there was some precision, I would suggest, about 
how that training, how that teaching went about, especially setting up the foundation of the church as we know it that would then go on for you know, several thousand years. But the word there is very, very relational. It means to serve in close, close personal relationship with. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They served in close personal relationship with the apostles. And the level of devotion, the implication, as I said in the word there, is to continue to do something with intense effort despite, or with the possible implication of despite difficulty. So you see the relational words and the lack of this very modern millennial kind of sense of until it got really boring so we went and got coffee and watched Netflix. I don't think they had Netflix back then. Rock flicks, maybe, I don't know. Cow flicks. I don't know. They, they, they didn't have. <laughs> but there was a level of not soulish intensity, but an intensity of passion and fire and devotion that was right at the heart and the core of that. I'm going to unpack that a little bit more in a moment. So they, they devoted themselves with a sense of close personal relationship and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, if you understand the gifting of an apostle, Paul talked about to the Corinthian church, I was among you as a master builder. That word master builder that he uses, the, the Greek word architectron. Architects, what do architects develop? Blueprints. So the apostolic mantle carries with it the blueprint of heaven for that region or that city or that sphere that that apostle is operating in. So I want to suggest that this, this teaching wasn't just random. You know, they couldn't teach through the books of the New Testament because they hadn't been written yet. They didn't exist. But they were the ones carrying the blueprint of heaven for that region. And I want to suggest this skilled instruction and training that was the Dadache was actually an outflow of this is heaven's blueprint for this region. And they would teach, train, instruct in a skilled way into that to equip these people to do the sort of thing that we saw in that, that video in Ciudad Juarez, to, to, to be that ecclesia in the city, to be that people called out of their homes into the public space for the benefit of that city or that region, because that's what they did. And then it says, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Many of you have heard of this word before. It's the Greek word koinonia. Uh, and it means an association involving close mutual relationships and involvement. There's some more relational words again. And then they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and prayer. So again, this wasn't just Netflix binges and barbecues, even though I have no problem with any of those, and if you're having any of them, please invite me. I'm, I'm not in any way speaking against those. I'm in favour. I'm just saying it's not the whole of what he had in mind here. So the breaking of bread and of prayer, it was an obvious reference to communion. And that word prayer is similar to where um, Paul says, with all kinds of prayers and requests. It wasn't just we sit and pray like a boring prayer meeting. It was all kinds of different activities of prayer that were happening in, the mid, in that midst. So the focus, if you like, the priority of focus of this family, this community was a much higher level than I'm doing my job so I can put food on the table and if I get time, I'm going to a home group during the week. 
It was a lot more than that. There was a much greater intensity and level of focus on that. But out of that, in verse 43, everyone, how does it say it? Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. So out of this environment that was deeply, deeply relational, deeply heart connected, this this supernatural community operated. So it didn't just stop at the relationship, but I want to suggest it came out of the relationship. More on that in a little while. And then it says they continued daily. And if you read um, the King James or the New King James, it says they continued daily with one accord. I used to think that meant they were all in one little Honda. And I was like, how do you fit 3,000 people into a Honda? Because a Honda Accord. But that was just yet another really poor dad joke. (laughs) Yeah, you said it. You did. You said it out loud. But it was an absolutely fair call. (laughs) That word, and if you've got the NIV, it is in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, that sounds sounds all right, but that, that translation doesn't even slightly do justice to what that word is trying to say. Some of you have heard this before. The word used there in the Greek is the word homothumidon. It sounds like a dinosaur. (laughs) It's a homothumidon. If if homothumidon was a dinosaur, it would be fire-breathing. Let me tell you why. Because the word literally means same fire. So homo means same. Homo, as distinct from hetero. Homo means same. Thumos, it comes from the word thymos, where we get our word like thermos, you know, a thing that keeps things hot. So thumidon was often described as, um, how was it, a ra- like a raging fire in someone. So in Acts 19, where Paul and his associates are in Ephesus, they've driven that python spirit out of the slave girl, they've ruined the people's chance of getting income from this spirit of divination, and they drag them and his associates in front of the, um, you know, the bad... Big honchos of the city. What do they call those people? That'll do. Um, and it says they all ran with one accord into the city, dragging them because they were because they were mad. It actually uses the word homothumidon there too. In other words, they were raging mad and dragged him in, and it's this sense of this this raging fire of passion within them that can be quite violent, as it was in Acts chapter nineteen, or it can be quite noble. Now, someone I read today, it says this. um, There is a noble thumos that burns for the good of others, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and thus it motivates people to act. That was how they were. And you see this in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. In other words, you see it before the day of Pentecost. When it says they all join together, and there's that word together again. If you read the old King Jimmy, King James, it says they, all, they were all there in one accord. And there it is that word homothumidon again. So they all gathered together, homothumidon, constantly in prayer. 
The day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of fully, the Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place. There's the word homothumidon again. So it was there before Pentecost. It was there on the day of Pentecost. Tongues of fire spread out all over them. At the end of that, we have 3,000 plus people getting saved. And at the heart of it is this thing called homothumidon, this same passionate fire. And then you see it again in Acts chapter 4, you see it again in Acts chapter 5, in chapter 7 and chapter 8. Where I'm going here is the DNA that was in there in the beginning is what multiplied and was still the DNA as it got huge. Too often I've seen churches, ministries and the like, they grow and the bigger they get, the further they move away from what the heart was in the beginning. The DNA somehow didn't get transferred. We didn't see that here. We see the same DNA that, was, DNA that was there in the 120. It was there on the day of Pentecost. The church gets birth, and it's the same DNA that they built out of. And you see it as the church multiplies, it's still there. Another commentator said the images, oh, this is talking about homothumidon, the image is almost musical. A number of notes are sounded which, while different, harmonise in pitch and tone as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master. It's really cool. Such a cool picture of this is what God was building. And it takes Ecclesia to do that. The whole synagogue thing, it doesn't do it. The big festival event, while it's fun, it doesn't do that. Now, let me come back to the relational nature of this whole thing for a moment. James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, as one will know well, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, in Christian circles, we, I think, have made a right meal of the word humble. We, we, we've somehow made humble to be, I'm such a scumbag. Like, I'm so not worthy. And I'm getting some Monty Python things in my head at the moment. I'm going to try and stay away from that. Deb's not in the room. I could get away with it. No? Okay, you're going to tell her, aren't you? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> oh, we're not worthy. Oh, yeah. Um, we've made it this false humility thing which is nothing but a deception and a lie. And we, we quote verses from Romans that, that say, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but we've never learned how highly we ought to think of ourselves. But then he says, so God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. So what is humble? Humble is not this self-flagellating thing that says, I'm a worm, I'm a scum. It's not that. I want to suggest that humility is summed up in one of our highest values which is we only do real. It's our words for authenticity. It's I'm going to crack open my heart and let you see what's inside. To me, that's humility. It's authenticity. It's vulnerability. But when he says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, if we understand the new covenant version of what grace is, it's not unmerited favor, it's empowering presence. So going back to Acts chapter 2, we saw this heart-connected com relational community where there was awe and where there were signs and wonders happening. 
I want to suggest that that heart-connected community doesn't happen outside of humility. Humility is the bit that says, here I am, here is me, just as I am. I'm not going to pretend I'm anything I'm not, which means I'm not going to think of myself lower than I ought, but I'm also not going to blow myself up. I'm not going to do this performance orientation thing. I'm going to show you where I'm struggling. I'm going to show you where I'm in need of His grace. And we're going to walk this journey together. And what we have is this promise that He gives His empowering presence into a context in which there is this, this authenticity and vulnerability. We're making sense? Now, Chris is away, but Vaughn's here. There he is. Hand is in the air, like that, still. Yeah. <laughs> How many of the guys have been in some way involved in some kind of anything with Vaughn? Whether it be something small during the week, something mensy. <laughs> Your hand did go up then, didn't it? Was that just a... Not a mensy thing. <laughs> How many of the women have been involved in something with Chris? Yes? And some of you with Megan as well? And, and there's, there's numerous other bits and pieces that have flown around as well. But this has been something that's really been birthed out of Vaughan and Chris's heart and a gifting that they have brought into our environment that has so fitted with our heart, but they've been walking this journey for 20, 30 years. Are you that old? You've been doing it since you were five, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> of if we are not building heart connection, if we are not doing heart to heart, we're not doing kingdom. Because the kingdom really shows up as we look each other in the eye and actually exchange life with each other. Not exchange pretension, but actually exchange real life. That, that is where the kingdom is built. We had lots of chance of it last week when we had Sandra here. And a whole lot of us were just, oh man, um, there's tears, there's snot, there's just all of that. And yet there was this incredible sense of peace and presence over the whole deal because he gives grace to the humble. When, he, when we crack our hearts open, the promise is a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. This was the DNA at the foundation of this thing called the Ecclesia that Jesus said that he would build. It takes humility to share your struggles, but if you go to verse 10 in James chapter 4, it says, humble yourself and he will lift you up. His grace will come, his grace will lift you up. So let's draw this thing together. Jesus takes this concept that wasn't anywhere in Jewish life. He takes this concept from the, in inverted commas, secular world around him called the Ecclesia, which was like a city parliament kind of concept. And he says, I'm going to build my version of that. Not my synagogue, not my big massive festival event thing. I'm going to build my ecclesia. I'm going to build a legislative body that has authority to legislate in the heavens and to legislate on the earth. We legislate in the heavens 
through prayer, intercession, worship, particularly through praise. We talked about that a few weeks ago when we were talking about that Python spirit. And we legislate in the earth through acts of justice. And out of that relational community, they set things in order in their cities. They looked after the poor. They fed homeless people. And part of the way that they enjoyed favour with all the people, and particularly when they enjoyed favour with city authorities, is because they were the ones bringing justice. And all justice is, is setting things in order. In a kingdom sense, justice is setting things in kingdom order. Is there poverty in heaven? No, let's go fix it. Are there hungry people in heaven? No, so bringing justice is making sure there's no hungry people in our city. Are there people that can't afford legal services? They can't afford to fix their families and to get the help they need to fix their families in heaven. No, let's make sure there aren't any here either. But for it to be multiplied out there, it had to be happening in here. Before we could create heaven out there and bring heaven to earth out there, we have to make sure heaven's established in here. Otherwise, what's the DNA we're reproducing out of? For me, I'm going to be honest with you, I have been profoundly confronted by this stuff. (laughs) Profoundly confronted. As, As I look at what this thing called the Ecclesia is, as I look at the effect that it had through the early church, as... To me, they obviously built from heaven's blueprint. Now, they navigated some tricky stuff on the way through there. You know, the book of Acts is nearly 30 years of church history. You know, all that stuff didn't just happen. If you, that's about 30 years worth of stuff. They navigated some tricky stuff. They had some theological debates and arguments. And even in that, they said, let's make sure we don't forget the poor. But they turned the world upside down. So to me, one of the ways I know whether we've got the blueprint right is, are we turning the world upside down? Are we fixing stuff? Are we putting things in order? Are we operating in such a way that the gates of hell in our city are scared? And really, what, I'm invite, what I want to invite you into is I want you to invite you into that same place of being profoundly confronted by, I think, how far in the West that we have strayed. I said to you a couple of weeks ago, if I remember rightly, if you look in America, most of the, church, most of the cities in America with the biggest churches also have the worst social statistics. That ain't right. Now, they're doing some awesome stuff. I have a huge amount of respect and loads I could learn from You know, you build a church with 30,000 people, I reckon I can learn from you. (laughs) Yet, something's missing. And thankfully, we're at a size and an age where we can still really work with, with the DNA now and really get it sorted now so that whatever we reproduce, reproduces out of the right DNA rather than the DNA that we've just, we've all experienced for however long we've been breathing. I, I want us to be profoundly, profoundly confronted And then within that, profoundly awakened 
to the destiny that you and I and us together carry. You're not an accident. You're not here to just put, put food on your table, go to work, come home at the end of the day, maybe raise some kids and hope that they love God and, and then chuff off. There is so much more. And our blueprint, when we saw the blueprint in action in the book of Acts, anytime these people were heading into a city, the people went, whoa, those dudes and dudesses that have turned the world upside down, now they're coming here and they're going to do it here too. And anyone who prospered under the old regime really didn't want them there and resisted them heavily. If we're going to be awakened to our destiny in that, if we're going to be the ecclesia that called out of the public, called out of our homes into the public square for the benefit of our city, we have to be awakened to the DNA of heaven in each of us. We have to be awakened to what is the fire that God has put in us. And that means when we gather together, when we gather together in our small little conventus type groups, that's the when two or three are gathered that Jesus talked about when he said, I am with you which he also stole from the Romans. Or maybe it was his idea in the first place and the Romans stole it from him, but it's probably more likely. Because if you weren't there for that week, the Conventus was this thing in Rome that wherever two or three, wherever, anywhere in the world, two or three Roman citizens gathered, the power and protection of the emperor of Rome was there, was there in their midst. In other words, the legislative authority of the emperor was there. <coughs> Pardon me, was there. So when Jesus said to them, when two or three are gathered... There I am with you. They understood that concept because they were living it in their culture. When we get together in our, our two or three are gathered places, we need to be with each other going after any enemy of that fire. Any enemy of that fire, anything that would put out the Thumadon in each of us, anything that would get us distracted from the fire, we need to go after. I remember it was a, a couple of years ago. And I can't remember whether I had this dream or Deb had this dream, but then Deb was waking in the middle of the night with stuff as well. And it was about don't forget the fire. Don't forget the fire. The fire being the presence of the Holy Spirit among you and that, that, that passionate engagement with each other around and immersed in his presence. We talked about that Python spirit a few weeks back. And if you missed that one, can I encourage you to listen to the recording because it was strategically a really, really important one to do with what is the territorial stuff in spirit happening in this area that is so easy for us all to come under. And so many people had some real breakthrough that night. It was really, really cool. But that Python spirit, if you think about what a Python does, it just wraps around and slowly just squeezes the life out of you. That is the power of the air over this over this region it just wants to slowly squeeze the light out life out of you and what we know from everything we've we've read and from everything that we've heard from people um in our broader network that understand this stuff and have some experience in that realm over a long period of years is it makes it really difficult for people to step into their personal destiny because it just chokes, it just slowly squeezes the life out of them and eventually you just go i got no energy oh what's the point and so on we go. That Python spirit will do it. That's the spirit of the air. So whenever we see that kind of thing happening on each other, where we see someone just slowly just kind of flaming out, 
In our twos and threes, that's when we need to look each other in the eye and go, hey, dude, do this, whichever the case may be. What's happening to the fire? Let's pray. Let's get that thing off you. Because when it's happening to yourself, we often can't see it. Think, oh, I'm just having a bad week. Again, I'm just having a bad month. Just having a bad year. Just having, I've had a bad five. I've had a bad... I'm just having a bad life. No, that's a spirit. Let's get that thing off you. Unhealed trauma will do it. Unhealed trauma will war against the fire. Unhealed disappointment will do it. Simple distraction will do it. But when we get together, we need to lovingly and passionately pursue each other in heart and remember and bring us back to the DNA that says, hey, let's get that fire happening. What's happening? Where's your heart? And so often it's just our unhealed stuff. And the the good news about that is there's healing for that. Big time. And we're all getting equipped more and more in how to do that, both for ourselves and for others. And I know a whole lot of you are doing the next lot of Elijah House in a month and a bit, which is fantastic. We're getting more and more equipped to do that stuff, but we have to lovingly go after that. We have to protect the fire. And as we allow that fire to burn in our midst, what I want us to do is, the, the picture I, just, I keep seeing for me around this is just lying on the floor and Jesus coming with the sword of the Spirit and just doing heart surgery on me. And, you know, I don't, he doesn't always use anesthetic sometimes because it's really confronting. Um, this is a metaphor, just in case anyone's getting triggered, I'm sorry. Um, where just is to let his words be that sword of the Spirit and and dig deep into my heart and confront any bit of complacency in me that just says, let's just keep doing the fun church thing and stops short of we have to take on the gates of hell in our city and bring the kingdom into that place. Because when Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail, that requires an advancing people against it. So I'd like us to pray. And I'm not 100% sure exactly how I want to do that other than let's start and let's see what happens. And some of my intercessory friends in the room, I'm very open to your input at this point as well. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray a couple of things which I'll find out what they are as I say them and then I'm just going to pause for a moment and I want you to just stop and listen to the Father just listen to his voice and and I, I want us for a moment just to share what you hear him say to us in this moment about what he is building who he is building us to be and what his blueprint for us is. We know a whole lot of stuff from Scripture now. It's so much clearer, but there's more. So I'm going to pray for us, then I'm going to pause, then I'm going to get you to listen to the Father for a bit, and then we'll share. (laughs) Father, you know I've been profoundly confronted as I have studied, have looked, have chatted around what you said you would build. 
And Father, for all of us as a house, I just invite you to to confront us in the loving way that you do with the truth of what you're trying of what you are determined to build. When you said heaven on earth, I'm kind of thinking you were serious about that. You didn't come to bring church to earth, you came to bring heaven to earth through the ecclesia. Jesus, I ask you to birth in us at a cellular level what that looks like for us here. Birth that in us. Give us dreams in the night. Give us visions by day. Speak to us through whatever way you speak. And we ask for that blueprint to be absolutely stamped upon us. Because we didn't sign up to do normal. We signed up for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we give you permission to stamp that that blueprint on us. And right now, God, over every one of us, I want to prophesy awakening. I want to prophesy awakening. I want to breathe that, the Spirit of God over the, the, the fire in our hearts and say, come alive, come awake, come awake. God, we break the power of any slumbering spirit, anything related to that python spirit. We just break its connection to us. We resist it. And your word promises that when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. So we resist that spirit. We resist the just going off to sleep and dissociating from our destiny and from our mission. We resist that in the name of Jesus. We give you permission, Jesus, to uproot in us any agreement that might be in our heart, whether knowingly or unknowingly, with that kind of thing. And we just breathe, breathe your spirit onto every heart and onto every life. And I prophesy awakening. Awaken to your destiny. Awaken to that which you were born for. When Paul said, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me, we release that revelation of that for which Christ took hold of your life. He took hold of it with purpose. He took hold of it with a blueprint of heaven. And we release the revelation of that over you now in Jesus' name. We just say, come alive, come alive. So for some of you, that picture I had earlier straight after worship where Jesus is inviting you to rooms of your house that you didn't even know were there. I've often had dreams like that where I'm going on a tour through my house and all of a sudden there's this whole wing that I didn't even know existed. And I feel like for some of you, he's taking you to places. It's like you didn't even know that was there. But when you get there and you're there with him, you're going to feel strangely alive. So just speak awakening, awakening awakening in Jesus' name. All right, I want you to stop and just wait and just listen. I'm going to give you a minute, maybe two, just to listen. And I want to hear some of the things that the Father has to say, whether it be for you or whether it be for us. Hey, some of you may be transmission still in progress. Keep listening. Who's got something? Who's got something that the Father's speaking to them? Um, 
some of us have kind of in the physical we've been riding push bikes, bikes, and we've come off. And I felt like um, you know, for some of us that we've um, you know, emotionally, physically, or spiritually we've come off uh, to the point where we've had to be hospitalised, or some of us have had some some minor um, bangs and scrapes that's kind of um, shook us, shook mm. our confidence, shook our um, ability to, to get on back on the bike, but I feel like um, God, I heard God distinctly say it's time to get back on the bike. Mm. And when you get back on the bike, it's, it's going to be wobbly, but when you get back on, on a bike after a while, it will, it, it starts to, the old things that you knew will come back. It's like riding a bike, right? That's a good word. And that will be really specifically for some as well. So take that in and just respond as you need to. get a car from up the street and I walked but then I was thinking I could have just ridden a bike and put the bike in the car and I feel like that's so sort of what's going to happen in the spirit it's like the things that we just didn't think of that are so simple just going to land mm. um, and it will just make so much more sense and yeah we'll have a lot of clarity around it that's a good word right there else um earlier when you were talking back just after worship um i was in a room in my heart and i think this is valid for lots of people and behind a lounge there was like a little pile of clothes and they were wrinkly and they were all kind of they'd been thrown in the corner and god showed me i sort of saw myself picking those clothes up and he just said it's time to iron those and start wearing them again and they were the garments of praise and that it's like it's time to hang them back up proudly in the cupboard and actually put them on and walk into every room with them on and somehow they've just been hidden in the corner and you've walked into the room and it looks fine, it looks tidy, looks neat but those really important garments have been hiding just behind so it's time to pull them out and wear them with um, a new authority and a new um, breakthrough into whatever it is that he's taking, the journey that he's taking us on. Again, if that's specifically for you, just go, yes, Lord. That just follows off on from everything that's been said. I just feel like God's saying enough of the wilderness. <laughs> huh. For many of us, it's like we could have come out of the wilderness, but it just feels a bit safer and a bit more comfortable there. And he's saying enough of the wilderness. I'm, I'm showing you the way out. Step out. Be bold and courageous. If you've got Jesus in you, then you can be bold and courageous because he is your boldness and he is your strength. Enough of the wilderness. Yeah. Come on. And I feel like one of the bridges there for that very thing is what Sammy was saying around, you've just been, oh, well, I'll just walk to my car. And all of a sudden, God drops a strategy that says, hey, what if you did it like this? And for some of you who are, who are in your head just going, oh, I just work a normal job. I feel like that's a part of you. Uh, that's for you. When you're thinking, oh, I just work a normal job, 
and there's just this one tiny little piece of revelation that the Father wants to drop on that whole thing that transforms that from a job to a, to a manifestation of the Ecclesia. So when we were praying before church, I saw this red sea come from the front of the church and like under the feet of the people, like singing, leading. And then when you asked us to talk to the Father, he said, river of life. Come on, come on. That whole concept of the river is one of my favourite things in all of Scripture. And everything lives wherever the river flows. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Mm. Just wondering how long that would take. Go on. <laughs> I've had this little theme for a bit and it's, um, yeah, God's been saying the Euphrates River. And I didn't even know what that was. Um, so I went away and looked it up. And in the Bible, it kind of represents the furthest stretch of what God's giving you. Does that make okay, sense? Yep. Like, So you'll be all the way to the... Because it's like the end of the known universe is in the Bible. And, and so it's like God's showing us. He's saying, well, this is actually all yours. It's vast. Uh, but... The people of God, like, they always had this choice as how much they were going to actually occupy in that. Like, really, what they did from that point actually determined, well, you know, can, are you going to settle for half of that, 80% of that, whatever. Um, so we actually, yeah, have that dimension that we can go all the way to the Euphrates River if we want, which was a place of life. Yeah, yeah wow. So let's ask God to expand our thinking. <laughs> it's all right, it's not telling you you have to go home just yet, but we will in a few seconds. <laughs> our thinking needs to be expanded. Because what we, you know, again, it's what we, we think is a normal carrot. God's going, that's so piddly. <laughs> this is the start of normal. Like that, that's just normal. That's not even big. Hmm. <laughs> And again, I feel like for some of us, just the bridge is just that simple little drop of revelation that says, why didn't you ride your bike there and pop it in the back? <laughs> Would have been a whole lot quicker. It's, just, it's something as simple as that. It's just a simple twist in perspective. Anyone else? Um, yeah, the picture that came for me was it's like the atomic structure of Ecclesia and um, so like the hydrogen and two oxygens kind of bonded together and um, it's that a picture of us as church all bonded together in that kind of chemical bonding kind of sense and um, as I just waited with that picture, um, I felt like the Lord was saying that the, the chemical bonding that happens between the members of Ecclesia is built by being genuinely known was one bond and then being practically loved was the other. Um, and then as I had that picture, I started to see the bonds beginning to go out from what was already the ecclesia to those that were outside it. And, and again, the bonds were just being genuinely known and being practically loved. And the yeah. means by which oh, my sense in that was that the way that the Lord was going to continue to create ecclesia here was around us becoming the kind of people who are genuinely known and practically loving each other. Um, but the way that he would expand Ecclesia and help us to begin performing our function in the world is by looking around at those people around us 
who we could genuinely know and who could become genuinely known by us and who could be brought into that um, giving and receiving of practical love. That's awesome. Can I suggest before you hand the mic over, come up here. Let's just gather together somewhere in the middle. And can you pray that in? Because that, that is sure. like the perfect bringing together of it. And you are very much part of the blueprint of this whole series too. So let's gather together and let's ask God to bond us. And that, again, that really practical bridge, being deeply known, that's our twos and threes, opening our hearts, and practically love. Let's, make, let's, let's learn to love each other well. That is our mission after all, to show the world what love is. Before we pray, Katie has something. Sorry, I had a vision before, and I, was, I didn't have the interpretation, and I was just going to share it and see if it was in the room, but I think it, it, was with the, it flows well with this. So I saw the Spirit in this room physically. It was soon as we started just listening. And he was running through us and kind of creating like a whirlwind. And he, the faster he got, it sounded like, you know when you run your finger around a wine glass or one of those, mm. those wind hoops you should never buy your children? That really <laughs> yeah. loud. And it was like the faster. And he was running in between us and it was creating this like cyclone of, of, of wind that caused this sound. It was like a piercing vibration of just... So that may flow in with the knitting together. Yeah. And actually last... Sunday before last when Sandra Selma Kirsten was here, that one of the things she prophesied was about a sound coming out of us and it was going to be th that sound that was going to have a significant impact. So that's giddy up to that. All right, pray for us, big fella. Let's just make a connection somehow mm. physically with those around you. And all right. Yeah, so I-61, I just announce over you the unhurriedness that is um, alive for us in Christ. I just say that you're not rushing. And for those of you who uh, have been running at a pace where there's no margin, no capacity to be known, no capacity to practically love, um, I just speak to your spirits and say, be still. Mm. Claim your diaries for the sake of the glory of the Lord. And yes. Uh, <laughs> I speak over you afresh the mind of Christ to create a diary that lets you uh, be with people long enough in such ways that you, be, you come to genuinely know them and they come to genuinely know you. Uh, ask for a, a passion homothumidon in your hearts for the people in this room to be amongst those you're known by and who you know. Yeah, I see the Spirit of God sitting at table with us and um, rubbing his finger around the wine glasses and water glasses <laughs> on our tables and creating the, the wind of heavenly community in the, in, in the ordinariness of shared meals and um, shared coffee and picnics and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, so let's announce the blessedness of the everyday, the sacredness of the meal table, the, the miracle of um, unhurried laughter. <laughs> and as we come to know each other better, may we become the kind of people who open up space to love well, to meet needs, to uh, lift burdens, to allow others to meet our needs and lift our burdens uh, with that humility to allow others to help us be birthed in us. 
And as that just becomes the muscle memory of what it means to be I-61 church internally, may we just become the kind of people who accidentally do that with those who are not mm-hmm. yet um, receivers of grace and inhabitants of the new creation. So in practical ways this week, may the Spirit of God open your eyes to those who need to be known by you, genuinely known, who need to be practically loved by you. Um, and as you do that, may uh, may earth and heaven come back into life. <laughs> Bless our leaders, Father, with wisdom as they continue to pursue this. This was never a series. This was always heaven's thought mm. bubble into which we were being brought, um, not just for a short while, but for the rest of all time to be. Don't let us devolve into being Sunagoge and don't let us aspirationally shoot to be Panagurus. We want to be the beautiful thing that orders the world in line with heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Giddy up. Why don't you hug someone?